Yeah, look, clearly this is aimed to distract the American population. Trump has is facing impeachment proceedings. I mean, that's a whole other discussion. But, um, you know, by doing this, he's trying to show that the U.S. is top dog um, and taking them out. It's, it's very ironic, you know, given that American strategic interests in Iraq, um, you know, since they're withdrawal has actually been to prop up um, pro-Iranian government and work with the same, um, you know, pro-Iranian militia in Iraq um, who they're now bombing um, because they saw this as the best uh, source of, um, you know, ongoing regional stability and in their interests and all the rest of it. Um, but it's clear that he wanted to, you know, send a very... Um, Strong signal, but it's mostly at home, I think. The signal is mostly, you know, for that domestic um, audience. Uh, I think it's very um, haphazard and reckless on behalf of the US in terms of, you know, escalating the possibility of regional conflict. Um, yeah. Yeah, certainly. And I guess, I mean, um, outside of those domestic factors, there still is this issue that Iran has very much been the target of American imperialism very much since 1979, when the American-backed dictator Reza Pahlavi uh, was removed in the, the, the popular revolution. Uh, that, I guess since then, though, there have been uh, sort of, I guess, periods of, of relative sort of peace or, 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 or Want a bit of a work for want of a better uh, word, and uh, I guess most notably that uh, 2015 nuclear agreement, which the Trump administration unilaterally withdrew from. Uh, in June, Trump authorized airstrikes on presumably a very large number of sites and installations throughout Iran, only to withdraw the order at virtually the last minute. But overall, there's been plenty of evidence over the last few years which indicates Washington is hell-bent on war with Iran. Why why is this the case, do you think? And and why does the United States have such a long-standing obsession, going back some 40 years, with destroying the Islamic Republic of Iran? Well, they saw it as a threat to their interests. Pahlavi was a major ally for the United States, but they seemed to be more worried back then, you know, about the role of the left, which was massive in Iran, um, in that revolution that toppled the Shah. And at the time, you know, the the Ayatollah was preferable to sort of a left-wing victory um, in Iran. Um, And, you know, they played both ways, played both sides in the Iran-Iraq war. You know, they were happy to see, you know, Iran and Iraq um, destroy each other. Um, But, you know, one of the unintended, well, whether it's unintended or not, but one of the consequences of, number one, knocking out the Taliban in Afghanistan and then Saddam Hussein in Iraq is that actually it increased um, Iran's regional um, power. They came out of it unscathed and increased their influence um, over the region. So now, I think largely because of um, pressure from Israel as well, um, they now see they need to bottle that up and try and limit um, Iranian um, influence across the region. And of course, you know, as you say, there have been attempts to bring Iran in from the cold, you know, notably Obama and the nuclear deal, but Trump's... um, you know, basically playing a much harder line. Um, And in some ways that plays to the hardliners inside of Iran as well. Um, Because, you know, there's nothing like um, 
you know, undermining the domestic opposition from the Iranian protests um, that have happened, anti-regime protests that have happened a number of times over the last couple of years, than to do something like this, you know, the rise of Iranian nationalism, the sort of um, unifying of, of the Iranian uh, states, um, and it makes it much harder for those genuine protests by the people around economic and social and anti-corruption um, you know, issues to, to continue. I mean, we just saw in November two weeks of daily protests, up to 1,500 people killed by the same forces that Soleimani um, commanded um, in Iran. Um, and now those people were already accused of being foreign agents by the Iranian government. And now it's going to be even more difficult for those people on the ground to come out and express their um, genuine opposition to the policies of their own government. Certainly, and you mentioned there, of course, that the uh, the forces under the control of Soleimani did and are responsible for the repression of, of you know thousands of protesters in Iran. And it's been you know I guess interesting or disheartening to see some of the responses from the sort of so-called left here in Australia, uh, with some people even welcoming the assassination of Soleimani. And of course, it's, it's a complex situation. And of course, you know Soleimani is um, certainly no hero of of the, the the international left by any means, but. Uh, I mean, how have you have you measured that response? There, you know, so far as far as I can see, at least here in Perth, there's been little uh, calls for uh, anti-war demonstrations. There's uh, doesn't seem to be much uh, even happening sort of internationally around this. Perhaps, uh, of course, in America, the anti-war movement there, uh, and and you know, under the um, I guess. Well, with the background of the sort of the Sanders campaign, will we'll mobilise somewhat. But how have you measured the, the the response from the kind of the international left in regard to these latest uh, these latest hostilities? Look, I mean, I understand why the anti-war movement is mobilising in the US, and I've seen some in Europe. It's clearly a um, you know illegal attack, um, particularly in terms of the murder of the Iraqi militia leader, an attack on the sovereignty. But I think there are two mistakes that can be made. One is to sort of cheer and welcome. While it's understandable, many you know ordinary Syrian people, ordinary Iraqi people initially supported that. Um, you know, you, you, if you look back at 2001, there were people in Latin America, for example, who cheered the bombing of the Twin Towers in New York. But that's from a position of weakness because you know they were unable to fight the empire themselves. And from what I've you know, spoken to Iranian um, friends and Syrian friends, much better for Soleimani to have faced international you know, justice or to have been the victim of the revolts um, in Iraq, in, in Lebanon, in Iran itself, than for the US to be coming in and doing it. So I think it's, it is important to make a stance to say we don't want war, we don't want escalation, but if we're going to say we're opposed to Trump's military intervention, we also have to point out that there has been ongoing war, predominantly by Russia, Iran, on the Syrian people. Soleimani was the architect of much of the you know, genocide that's happened, the siege, siege of rebel towns and so on um, in Syria. So if we're going to have an anti-war movement, it has to be not just about what the US has done, but about the general picture um, that is going on across, across the Middle East. Um, so, yeah, I think we have to avoid both kind of like this celebration of the death of this um, monster, Soleimani, but also 
um, avoid this narrow response that just sees it in terms of what the US is doing. We have to condemn what Trump has done, but go on to generalise about, um, you know, opposition to all foreign intervention in the region and to point out what we think is the solution, what, um, you know, in terms of the region. Certainly. Just finally, Mark, uh, you know, you mentioned there before the the huge sort of protests that have been taking place in Iran, and they're very much a part of, um, I guess, you know, for, for want of a better word, uh, a sort of, I guess, uh, reinvigoration of perhaps of the Arab Spring. We've seen huge protests in, in Iraq and also, of course, in Lebanon, where there's also an element, I think, uh, and it would be fair to say, of, of an anti-neoliberalism or anti-imperialist element to many of these demonstrations. What do you think these these latest hostilities mean for for these movements and for the region more broadly, and also, I guess, for the possibility of, of these uh, these social movements to, I guess, push for uh, more true democracy or uh, or a, or more sort of just solutions in in the Middle East? Yeah, look, it is very worrying um, the impact that this is going to have. Um, so, in Iraq, for example, you've had this intensely large um, mass movement uniting Sunni and Shia, led by young people. Um, basically, you know, decades of foreign intervention, whether it's US or, you know, more recently Iranian. And, you know, they've stood up to say, we want a united Iraq, sort of like a rebirth of, of Iraqi nationalism, if you like. Um, and the danger is now, I read an article saying, you know, the irony of this attack is that um, at a point where criticism of Irani Iranian influence in Iraq has been, you know, never higher, it could actually provide the opportunity for Iran to come back and reimpose. So the Iraqi parliament, you may have just seen, has voted to expel uh, US forces um, and so on. But at the same time, the youth of Iraq, the same ones who've been protesting in throughout October and November, despite the risk to their lives, protested again in their thousands. And for me, that is the source of hope. There is a danger that the whole thing is going to be derailed and it comes back down to geopolitics and the fascination with US versus um, Iran in the region and Saudi Arabia and all the geopolitics. But the hope is that, you know, the sort of mass movements we've seen across the region, you know, it's been a dark period for the Arab world since the counter-revolution started in 2013. But 2019, we saw Sudan, we saw Algeria, as you say, Lebanon, Iraq, Iran itself. Um, you know, I think if we're going to express our solidarity with the region, we really have to be expressing our solidarity with the people on the ground who are trying to unite across religious divides against their rulers, against neoliberalism, against any kind of foreign intervention. Um, and, you know, there is a danger that, as I said, that's all going to be derailed by, by events. But, you know, that's what we, I think we have to try to do to try and support those people on the ground.